0: Hey, what's up? My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Church in the Wild. Thank you for joining us in the wild where we have sermons, conversations, interests, all the things that make us who we are. Thanks for jumping on here. You matter. Welcome to Church of a While. My name is Jason. I get to be the pastor here. I am super excited um, to be able to talk to you today about something that um, God's just been working on my life and working uh, for a couple months now on this. And so... Um, I may go for two, two and a half, three hours. We'll see. Yeah. Let's clap. Yeah. The more you clap, the shorter I go. So, um, there we go, <laughs> uh, man, I may go for a, a minute on this, but, um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, do you feel healthier since we started this series? I feel healthier. Yeah. Okay. We can clap for that. Good, good, good. I feel healthier. Um, I think that, uh, these habits, are really, really healthy, really important. And um, there is something, uh, there's something ringing up here. I don't know if it's ringing for you all, but it's about driving me nuts. So um, it's real loud in my ears. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but um, uh, they are things that I hope you're not just simply um, uh, just listening to. We, uh, there's, a, there's a common saying in church Uh, it's like, oh, every Sunday is the Super Bowl. Sounds cool. Not true. Uh, Every Sunday is the pregame. Your life is the Super Bowl. Okay. And so uh, when it comes to sermons, uh, we have God who is our head coach. I just get to be the offensive coordinator and we put the ball in your hands and you run with it throughout the week. And so um, hopefully you're listening to these sermons with the intent of adding them into your life, not just figuring out like, oh, you should have told a joke here. You should have said this here. You didn't say this here. You went too long or too short. The idea of sermons is not about, oh, are you the pastor living what you say? The idea of sermons is all of us as individuals making sure that we are running and living the way that God is calling us to live. And so um, this particular message Uh, We'll be talking about silence and solitude, and uh, I know that it sounds like it might be a little bit boring, but I can tell you that this discipline spiritually, if you'll put this in your life, it will absolutely change your life. And so uh, we're in this series called Healthy Habits. We started off by talking about soul health and how soul health leads to whole health. We talked about reflection and we said, reflection reminds us that who we walk in with is greater than anything we will ever walk into. Then we talked about resistance. We said, resistance can be good for us when we recognize that it leads to growth. And last week we said, rest is a scheduled refueling of our soul and a rested soul leads to a restored soul. And so let's look at Psalm 23, Psalm chapter 23. We are just kind of walking through this, this Psalm and looking at it. And so um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you uh, take notes or if you circle things or underline things in your Bible, uh, I would, I would encourage you to circle that my right there. I shall not want. He makes, who does he make? Lie down. Who does he say right here? Me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads who? Me, besides still waters. We're picking it up, we're picking it up. He restores whose soul? My soul. He leads who in paths of righteousness? Me, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with who? Me, your rod and your staff comforts who? Me. You prepare a table before who, in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This chapter is uh, one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. It's up there with the Lord's Prayer and John three sixteen, as quoted all the time. Right? If you grew up um, and you had a grandmother. Your grandmother had a couch that had a lot of flowers on it. She had probably a green cigarette tray somewhere. Uh, Whether she smoked or not, every grandmother has a green cigarette tray. They must have got them from the Reader's Digest or something. I don't know where they all came from. And she had on her wall a picture. There would be some sheep or there would be, you know, a, a field. And it would say, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Every grandmother has one. Our parents might've had, you know, something a little bit different. Uh, A lot of the cool kids now have Psalm 23 tattooed on themselves and they're like, hey, what's that, what's that mean? And they're like, I don't know. I just wanted the tattoo, right? We all know Psalm 23. It's very famous. It's one of those, one of those Psalms that, that we grow up reading. It's one of my favorite Psalms. It's very reassuring. It's very calming. It brings confidence into our life. It is, um, one of those ones that we can read so much that we just think we know everything about it. Oh yeah, I've heard, we're gonna talk about Psalm 23 for six weeks. I know that. Let's move on. Let's find something else. Talk about something else. Talk about monsters, you know? But there's something that I was reading in this, in this uh, passage as I was going through it and studying it. One of the ways that I study for sermons is I just read the passage over and over and over and over and over and over again. One of the things that jumped out to me was he says, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters, which sounds great, but it doesn't make sense if you know anything about sheep. It doesn't make any sense at all because shepherds don't have one sheep. David's a shepherd, he grew up as a shepherd. But yet David would understand that if if Psalm 23 was written the way that we would think it should be written, he would say, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want, because he's one of the flock of the sheep. But David says, he's my shepherd. The creator of the universe is my personal shepherd. So David is saying one of two things. There's theories about this. They're both right, I think. David is either saying that He's one of the sheep and there's this huge flock, but God and him have this personal relationship that it's almost like he's just the only one in the flock. Even though there's thousands, David has this personal, unique relationship with God. And so that even though thousands of people are being led by God, David is walking right beside him as his like one sheep that he's dealing with. Or it means that God is his personal shepherd and walking him to still waters personally. Both of them are beautiful and powerful. Every reference in Psalm 23 is personal. David continually throughout the entire chapter reminds us that his relationship is a personal relationship, almost as, God, as if God is leading him to these places of healing alone. And another interesting thing about this is where he leads him. He leads him to calm and peaceful waters, still waters. They are quiet, still places. I don't know about you, but uh, growing up, we lived on a lake and sometimes at night, I would sneak out my window and I would go down to the dock because I wasn't allowed to be out there at night. I would go down to the dock and sit on, on the dock and the water, the moon would shine off the water and there would be fireflies and the water would just calm me down. I was very anxious and the water would just calm me down and, and reassure me and I would just sit there and watch the moon on the water and feel so at peace. I remember, um, I remember growing up, we had, my grandparents had a farm and sometimes we'd be working out in the fields and there's this amazing thing of like, sometimes you just catch a minute where the wind begins to blow on these tall fields and the grass begins to chase each other. And sometimes even as a kid, I would just sit there and stare at it like, wow, this is so peaceful. It's so calming. It's so relaxing. We go to the ocean a lot. My wife and I, every chance that we can get to water, we go to water because water is calming and it's peaceful and it's, it's something that, that just relaxes us inside. I remember last year, we were at Pensacola Beach. We we're on, uh, the sun is setting, and you know how the the water turns golden, and then the shore kind of turns golden as well, and it was time to go, and Isla decided that she suddenly became a seagull, so she started running down the beach, flapping her wings, and she was running through this, like, just ankle-deep water, and the sun was setting, and I was watching her, and I was like, this is the most beautiful, peaceful thing I've ever seen, and then I decided that I also was a seagull, so I started chasing after her, and the two of us ran down the beach in this ankle deep water at a sunset at the ocean, and it was like so peaceful and so calming and so wonderful. David in Psalm 23 draws continual peace from the fact that God leads him in silence and in solitary places. Henry Nolan, who wrote, who taught at Harvard, Yale, and Notre Dame, and wrote 20 books, said, without silence and solitude, it is virtually impossible to lead a spiritual life. Blaise Pascal, a Christian thinker in the 1600s wrote, I have discovered that all of unhappiness of men arises from one single fact. They are unable to stay quiet in their own room. The Bible actually talks a lot about this idea of silence and solitude. And for those of you, um, if you're interested, I will send you a lot more information than I'm gonna try to get through today because I really, I was joking, but I could probably go for two hours on this content. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 says, there is a time to be silent. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, uh, do not be quick with your mouth or hasty. Psalm chapter 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. You ever wonder if maybe the reason our culture has so many people confused and questioning God is because we're never still? Like we never hold still ever. And the more our society speeds up and quickens and gets faster and faster, the more that people regularly begin to I'm not sure if I even believe in a God. Maybe it's because we can't see him because we're spending all of our time looking at man's creation and it's rushing by faster and faster and faster and we don't have time to see the creator. Moses and Paul, some of the most recognized figures in history were transformed in times of extended solitude. Jesus himself lived in a world of inner solitude and he frequently experienced outer solitude. He was busy, but he was never in a hurry. Silence and solitude was Jesus' place of strength. Before he began his public ministry, he spent 40 days in silence and solitude. Jesus was about to be tempted, and uh, there's, a, there's an author of a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He talks about how he used to question why Jesus would be tempted and why God would allow him to go alone for 40 days. Why, why is he allowed to go alone for 40 days and then face temptation? He always thought that it was like Jesus somehow triumphant, was triumphant over the fact that he was alone and tempted. But John Mark Comer in his book talks about the fact that it was because he was alone that he drew the strength to beat the temptation. Zephaniah chapter one, verse seven says, be silent before the Lord God. Psalm chapter 62 says, Verse 5 and 6, says, my soul, wait in silence for God, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation and my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. For thus says the Lord of God, Isaiah chapter 30 says, the Holy One of Israel have said, in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. And in quietness and trust is your strength. When Jesus heard of John the Baptist's death, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place and prayed. After feeding 5,000 people, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening was come, the Bible says in Matthew 14, he was alone. Luke chapter 5 says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often withdrew. And science is beginning to catch up in this area. Sometimes it can take science a little while to catch up to the Bible. Uh, For instance, uh, the Bible talked about the earth being round long before scientists ever arrived at that conclusion. The earth, uh, the Bible talked about life being in the blood long before science ever arrived there. The Bible talked about wind patterns long before science ever arrived, that there was wind patterns. And in this one, science is beginning to arrive at the idea that noise is bad. In 2011, the World Health Organization made this quote. They said there is an overwhelming evidence that exposure to environmental noise has adverse effect on the health of the population. They did studies on it and found that noise has been found to lead to high blood pressure and heart attacks, impaired hearing, bad health, and increased stress levels. In 2006, it was discovered that two minutes of silence per day was actually more relaxing than listening to music. And this one blew my mind. Silence has been found to replenish brain attention centers and heal them. So there's this idea that, you know, I, I, I struggle with sometimes with a little bit of AD&D. And there's, a, there's this idea that, well, because I can't deal with the science, the silence, I need stuff. I need music. I need something going on around me because I can't deal with the silence. But science is now saying that silence actually heals the part of your brain that makes it so you can't pay attention. Lack of silence causes distraction, ability to focus, to solve problems, and to be creative. In 2013, a study found that silence, listen, this is amazing, regrows brain cells. Specifically cells in the area associated with learning, with memory, and with emotion. Now think about this for a minute. Our world is getting noisier and noisier and noisier and noisier. And what do we see? More and more people we see on the news who can't control their emotion leading to more and more violence. We have to be afraid to go to basketball games now because there's shootings at basketball games this week. We have to be afraid of this. There's more and more and more violence, less and less people able to control their emotions and less and less silence in our world. The study went on to say that silence has been uh, proven that to help fight depression and Alzheimer's. Silence has also been shown to improve sleep quality and to fight insomnia. All of this from one verse, be still, know that I am God. The Bible talks about wisdom coming from silence. Jesus used silence and solitude to decide which disciples that he would choose. Silence helps us to hear God. It helps us with introspection it helps us with wisdom, with our words. It helps us with rest, with self-awareness. Silence has been proven to uh, grow creativity. It's been proven to heal, to help us heal, not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. It also has been shown to help us with connection. Ironically, the more noisy the world is, the less connected we are to each other. Charles Spurgeon said, there's times when solitude is better than society and silence is better than than speech. And so as we talk about uh, healthy habits this week, I want to encourage you to jump into the healthy habit of spending time in silence and in solitude. Now, I know that when I say this, some of you are like, no way, I will not do this, or that sounds boring, or that sounds awful. I get it. I used to think that, and about six months ago, I started spending 20 minutes per day in silence and solitude, and it is changing my life. It is the most impactful part of my day. So how do we do this? When we go into silence and solitude, I believe that it's best to spend that time outside. I think it's best to spend it outside. And then um, I'm gonna tell you something that no preacher's probably ever told you before. Don't pray, don't pray. We're gonna talk about praying in a couple weeks. Don't pray when you're in the silence and solitude. And here's why. Silence and solitude is supposed to be for us to hear the voice of God, not for us to tell him everything we want and need and think. It is our time for us to simply be silent and say, God, what is it that you are attempting to say to me? I'll tell you this. I, I, um, I started doing this a while ago and it took weeks. Like I would set a timer on my phone and just sit there. It'd be like two minutes and I would be like, okay, we got to be almost done, (laughs) right? And like, I've been doing it now for a while and I'm getting better at it. I've not arrived, but I'm getting better at it. It took weeks. And then all of a sudden in the middle of of one of those moments where I'm like, God, just say something to me. Just tell me what it is you want. God said to me, courage. And I was like, that's it? (laughs) Like, that's all you're going to say is courage? That's it? Courage and what? no answer. And so since then, I've been trying to be more courageous. And since then, let me tell you, God has opened doors and done things that I never thought were even imaginable. I asked God for a number on something and he tripled it in three weeks. Something that I was like, God, we can't overcome this. God was like, not only can you overcome this, I will do this. Watch this. Just have courage, son. So this week's challenge, We're going to spend 10 minutes, like we've been all week, on reflection, just journaling how good God is to us. We're going to spend 10 minutes in resistance, walking, running, jogging, working out, whatever it is that you do, 10 minutes in rest, and then we're going to spend 10 minutes in silence and in solitude, 10 minutes just sitting alone saying, God, what is it that you are saying to me? What are you trying to tell me? And I'll tell you, I think this is important and I'll tell you why. There is, um, there is this, this, this prevalent idea in our culture when it comes to prayer. And this, this idea is that uh, it, it's, it sounds, is biblically accurate and it's sounding, its application is what is wrong. The sounding is, um, well, the same power that lives in Jesus is alive in you. Yes, that's true. That's awesome. That's very biblically accurate. The way it is applied however becomes wrong because then it is applied and because of that I demand that God do this well that's humanism that's worshiping you not God it is my faith that is making this happen it's not your faith that makes anything happen it is God that makes things happen and so we begin to take our prayers into this approach of like I demand that God do this and we'll even in the name of Jesus you have to do this because I say it the problem with that is Jesus said not my will but thine be done So the same power that is in Jesus is in us, yes. And we should be humble and obedient enough to say to the Father, and we are asking for your will to be accomplished. So yes, we absolutely come with confidence, but confidence is not arrogance. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. Confidence says, God, I believe that I can approach you and I can speak to you and I can ask that you will do this. And arrogance says, I demand that it be done because I say it. And this leads into something called prosperity gospel. If you're curious, our church is not a prosperity gospel church. Look at Jesus. He wasn't too prosperous on this earth. Neither were any of his disciples. Neither were any of the people who started the church. Most of them died broken and alone and homeless. It leads into this beautiful sounding thing of, man, the same Jesus, the power that's in Jesus is in us. And he is. And Jesus was yet willing to come humbly to his father and say, would you remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, it's not your will, but mine. So we want to spend 10 minutes this week simply approaching God in absolute silence and solitude, approaching God, stepping outside his best into nature and saying, God, what is it that you're trying to tell me? I have a laundry list of things I want to tell you, We should have those lists. We should pray. We should ask God for things. We should talk to God about things. But spend 10 minutes per day this week asking him what he's trying to speak and say to you. And then be silent and still and wait. And it may take months. It may take weeks. I cannot promise you that in two days God's going to give you a new gospel that you're going to write. He may, he may give you a book to write, he may not. He may give you one word after a couple of weeks, but he will begin to speak and he will begin to be real and your soul will begin to be healed and your body will begin to follow And this habit, this healthy habit of silence and solitude will begin to change things about you. You will begin to be okay alone. You'll begin to be okay to walk into a restaurant or into a movie and sit down by yourself and not worry about what people think about you. You suddenly will be able to go on walks alone. Why? Because you build up this healthy habit which turns into a spiritual discipline of realizing as long as the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing and no one. He gives me everything that I could ever need, want, or imagine. In fact, he goes above and beyond all that I hoped or imagined. He is the great lamb of God, the great lion of the tribe of Judah who roars out to us when we are silent and when we spend time in solitude before him. Our world is spinning faster and faster and faster and we are hustling more and more and more and we are working more and more and more and we're spending less time in silence. And I wanna encourage you this week to just take 10 minutes per day alone. Take your phone and get it as far away from you as you possibly can. Well, I'm gonna take notes. No, you won't. You'll get on Instagram. I'm going to do this. No, you won't. I'm going to set a timer. Cool. Set the timer and go as far away from that timer as you can possibly go. Why Why do we set timers on God anyways? We don't set timers on how long we watch Netflix. We'll, watch, we'll binge a whole show. We'll watch 17 episodes. God, you got five minutes. I'm setting the timer, God. The creator of the universe who works in rhythms and habits and seasons, we give him five minutes. Hey, you got five minutes. I'm going I'm to pray for five minutes, set my timer. I got to get to work. But we don't do that for anything else or anyone else. It's just God. And, what we, and we don't even give him the opportunity to speak to us. We get in the car, we turn on the radio. We even have radios in our showers now. You don't need a radio in your shower. You don't need that be silent before God, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet today. Maybe the reason so many of us struggle with doubt, maybe the reason so many of us struggle with hearing him speak to us. Maybe the reason so many of us struggle with connectivity with other people, Maybe the reason so many of us struggle with saying words and then later on being like, man, I shouldn't have said that is because we're just not silent before God. We're just not willing to allow all that He wants to say to us to heal us and to solve and to grow so many areas in our life that we are lacking. Maybe it's time for a healthy habit of silence and solitude. God has healing for your body for your for your your heart most importantly god is healing for your soul soul health leads to whole health the silent health leads to a restored heart so in this moment i'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes we're going to sing a song here in just a minute Maybe what you need is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. Maybe like, like at times you've been struggling with, man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And you haven't been silent long enough to say, you know what I do know? I do know that I need Jesus Christ to forgive me for my sins and to save me from myself and from the brokenness of this world. You'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, but in this moment, you'd say, you know what, I want to accept Jesus Christ. He is God. He's not just a good guy. He's a God guy. And I want to accept Him as my Lord and Savior, and I want to give Him control of my life. Would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Raise your hand. Now, the rest of us in here, we're all believers. But like me, I think a lot of us are running. We're just running and running and running and running. We're not spending enough time in silence, listening to God. We're not spending enough time in solitude. And so uh, if you're willing to spend 10 minutes this week, just in 10 minutes of silence saying, God, what is it that you're trying to speak to me? Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can lower your hands. Let's pray. and We'll sing another song. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are gracious, kind, loving, just Lord. When we are silent, that's when we hear your roar. When we are willing to be silent before you, we hear you